And she kind of just looks at me and she just says, Zane, like, you're too smart. Like, you, you just got to be more ambitious, ambitious than this, right? Uh, she's like, so much more you can do, right? So that, you know, was kind of like a shock to my system. Like, I hear I was thinking, like, I'm being super ambitious, trying to be one of the top 10 people for, like, paid marketing in Canada. And then, like, you know, here comes this person who's like, you know what, that's, that's just not good enough. Like, you got to aim bigger. Like, you got to go bigger, right? We tell our guests stories or didn't happen. A big welcome to our marketing fam. Prepare to turn the f- up. This episode is sponsored by our friends over at maga.io. Hey Zane, welcome to the podcast. Hey Daniel, thanks for having me. Thank you, thank you. Um, pleasure having you on here. I know you're 12 hour difference from me, which is awesome, but that's the beauty of the internet. You get to talk to people all over the world, even though this is not the place you're in right now where you could talk about it a little bit, but I wanted to just start off like, how did you get into marketing? How did you start your marketing career? That's an interesting question. And and I hope I have a great answer for that. It's, it's a pretty funny story, in fact. So I basically wanted to get into startups. I was, you know, I had this corporate job wasn't bad, but just boring as hell. You know, I, you know, I had to wake up every morning, press my suit, leave my house at like 7 a.m., get back home at like 7, 8 p.m. Yeah, wasn't wasn't um what you might call uh, passionate about my career. So so I kind of you know wanted to get into startups. And like I was willing to do anything to get in, right? Like uh, I, I'd show up to you know these sales interviews. I I knew nothing about sales. I was kind of just winging it and and you know going along. And you know, one day uh, I, you know, uh, got this marketing interview. And I think I did pretty well throughout the process. I'd done my research on some channels and, you know, I kind of on the side done like Google ads courses and everything. So I, 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 I upskilled as, I'm, as, as much as I could have as someone who's never been inside a startup or never done marketing. So end of the interview process, you know, they kind of bring me in and they say, hey, like we've got uh, two spots, one's for SEO and one's for SEM, you know, which position are you more interested in? Because we think you'd be a fit for both positions. And frankly speaking, I didn't know the difference between SEO and SEM. And on the spot, I was just too embarrassed to admit that I didn't know the difference. So I just said SEM because it kind of felt like the right thing to say in the moment. And, and that's pretty <laughs> much how I got my first uh, marketing job. And, and that's how I landed in startup. So uh, pure coincidence. I don't have any, you know, uh, playbooks uh, <laughs> on how to, uh, how to, you know, uh, ace our marketing interview and, and so forth. But uh, yeah, uh, sheer brute luck along with a little bit of persistence, I guess. And, and yeah makes for a funny story but uh didn't feel very funny back then yeah it's funny because i kind of got into mark like a marketing job the same way i basically said like i heard like they were like a pardot company and i was like oh marketing technology that must be cool like i can learn what marketers are doing and i just took the job to be like a marketing automation person and i was like oh this is what it is i didn't even know what i was doing so (laughs) it's funny that you got into that you actually have a pretty like crazy career and you moved up the marketing chain pretty fast. So like, I want to go over like, how did you do that? Like, what were some things you did to like grow your career to VP in like under like five years? Sure. Yeah. So initially that's not what I had in mind at all. Like I never thought of like a leadership position. I came from a corporate background where, you know, uh, even to become a manager, you had to wait for five years. And, you know, if you wanted to become a director or VP, that's like a decades long game. So it was never something that I even thought of. But then I joined startups. And then I saw, you know, a lot of young people in leadership positions, and they were doing a great job. 
And, and, you know, the more time that I spent around these people, included my manager, included, you know, other executives at the company, it just became a question of like, why not? Like, what are they doing uh, or how are they thinking, you know, that, that I'm not doing or, or thinking, right? So that kind of got me thinking. And, you know, I was super lucky that I was in a company that took a chance on young people where, you know, the executives mentored uh, all the young folks and, you know, really kind of uh, scaled them up quickly in their roles. So initially my goal was, you know, I want to become like the, my goal, like I, I wrote this down, I remember this, like my goal for the year was I want to become, you know, one of the best 10 paid marketers in Canada. That was my goal. Cause you know, I was doing SEM, Google ads, like that was my goal. I want to become one of the best ones. Right. And, you know, I remember sharing this with my VP at the time and she kind of just looks at me and she just says, Zane, like, you're too smart. Like you, you just got to be more ambitious, ambitious than this. Right. Uh, she's like, so much more you can do. Right. So that, you know, was kind of like a shock to my system. Like I hear I was thinking like, I'm being super ambitious, trying to be one of the top 10 people for like paid marketing in Canada. And then like, you know, here comes this person who's like, you know what, that's, that's just not good enough. Like you got to aim bigger, like you got to go bigger. Right. So very lucky that I found a, a manager and a mentor who really like kind of pushed me to kind of, you know, reconsider my career, think about these things. And, you know, that kind of set me down a path of, not necessarily becoming a VP. I still think it came about very spontaneously. And I was, I was maybe very intentional about it in, you know, maybe the six months leading up to the job. But before that, that I don't think that was something that I kind of woke up in the morning thinking about. But, you know, it, it kind of just became, you know, like you can take the IC path, you can take the managerial path. And I was kind of on the IC path before. And then I started thinking about the managerial path. And then you in addition to having like, you know, the, the core hard skills, right? Like, do you know how to use SQL? Can you, know, analyze data? Do you know how to kind of, you know, assess if your campaign's doing well or not? All those different things, right? Obviously had to get good at those things, right? But then as a manager, there's a bunch of other things you need to get good at, right? You know, how do you source talents? How do you convince people to join a company? How do you interview them? How do you upskill them? How do you manage them? How do you kind of, you know, go from one, one person to building a team? Uh, you know, how do you talk to other functions? How do you prioritize your time? You know, and, and when you're doing all those things, suddenly you're you're kind of out of touch with your channel. So how do you, you know, kind of keep touch with the ground while also being operating at this, you know, very high leverage kind of situation? Uh, how do you kind of manage a budget? I was managing millions of dollars and spend a couple of years into my job. So a lot of these things, I just felt like I was in a positive loop and, you know, came one thing after another, after another. I don't know how coherent uh, my story was, but uh, in, in my head, that's how uh, all of it kind of unfolded. It was pretty quick. It was pretty fast. I, I don't think I had time to digest all of it until recently. I think there were moments in there where I thought, oh, shit, I'm, a lot of this is happening because I'm working hard and, and I'm doing you know, uh, so well. But uh, in hindsight, a lot of it was just being at the right time, at the, at the right place. So if, if anyone's listening to this and you know, maybe someone has ambitions of doing this, you can only work so hard. Like there's only, you know, 24 hours in a day. And if you're in an, in an environment where uh, no one wants to mentor you, no one wants to take a chance on you, uh, you know, people don't believe in, you know, upskilling and, you know, promoting young people, it's probably not going to happen. So yeah, number one, you know, thing for me was I was just in the right environment with the right people, got the right encouragement. And that, that kind of, you know, led me down the path that I, yeah, that I'm right now. Yeah. I think that's so important that, that you bring that up i think a lot of people it's really finding the right boss to work under that when they start their career it's it's really finding that mentor who is willing to 
bring them up with them. I feel like so many stories I've heard, it's like bosses taking a chance, bosses willing. And yeah. like, it's usually like, like the saying that people don't leave companies, they leave like bosses is like, I truly feel like that. If your boss is not giving you chances yeah. to grow, if your boss is not taking risks on you. Like you're in an environment where you're just going to be brought down yeah. the whole time. So yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Right. Like one of my kind of contrarian takes on, you know, building your career is that your boss is probably worth more than a million dollars in comp. You just don't think of it that way because if you find the right boss, who's going to teach you the right things and put you down the right career path and be a mentor, be a champion, you know, down over the course of a career, that's going to be worth a shit ton of money. But a lot of people often get very short-sighted in the beginning, right? So like if, if someone's just starting off their job and they're evaluating two job offers, one's 40K, 150K, for a lot of people, that's a no-brainer. They're like, of course, I'm going to go for the 50K, right? But if you take a step back and, you know, maybe, maybe the 40K offer has a company that's, you know, up and coming, has a manager who, you know, would probably take a chance on you, mentor you, accelerate your career. That's probably the right option to go with. I, I, you know, I'd like to say I did that intentionally, 100% not. I kind of, it happened for me accidentally. But uh, yeah, if I had to do it all again, I'd probably prioritize my boss over anything else if I was, uh, uh, you know, starting my career again. Yeah. And it's also like once you get in that environment, like you will know if your boss is good or not. So if you're not, if you're feeling like you're getting bogged down by someone, maybe it's a time to look somewhere else where you could find yeah. someone who can help you like up level, yeah. especially at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, if, you know, maybe you don't find a good boss, you end up with a neutral boss. That's not such a bad thing, I guess, but you know, some people just aren't good managers, right? They're not intentionally trying to hinder your career or, or be a barrier or be a hump, but they're just not good at managing people. Right. So if you're going for your uh, interview, uh, you know, uh, you might want to ask a couple of questions, right? Like, um, you know, you explicitly just ask them, like, you know, how, how do you mentor people? How do you coach them? How do you give them feedback? And uh, believe it or not, like, if I had to do it now, and, you know, if whenever I, I go for my next role, I'm explicitly going to ask whoever, like the CEO or the VP or whoever else is, is, you know, can you give me a reference of, you know, one or two people that you've managed? I'd like to talk to them. Yeah, that's a, that's great advice. I would love, I would love also to, like take a step back and be like, how did you learn all this stuff so fast? Because even like starting off, like you learned like the basics of SEM, for example, like, but how did I go to like learning how to manage a million dollar budget to like yeah. learning how to manage people and all that stuff? It's a great question. The key term that you use there is learn, right? Like, how do you learn? Again, one of those things that that happened somewhat haphazardly I became more intentional about it over time, but uh, a funny story about me is um, I kind of dropped out of college after one year because I just couldn't take it. Like I just hated the mundanity. I was in a city where it would constantly rain. Frankly speaking, most people around me were just fucking stoned 24 seven. So it just wasn't my vibe for some reason. So I kind of, you know, dropped out after one year. And what I did after that is basically I, you know, I would kind of, you know, did uh, internships during that time after I dropped out of college. And then I started studying for a degree in the evenings. So I did an online degree and I just studied in the evenings. So unbeknownst to me at the time, I'd kind of taken a path where I had to teach myself things. 
So I wasn't going to lectures. No one was telling me, here's how you kind of, you know, uh, read this book or prep for this course or take notes or, you know, practice memorization or whatever else you want to call it. Right. So I kind of ended up down this path where I had to do a lot of this myself. Of course, some of this stuff you learn in, um, in school, but you know, in college, there's an added layer of complexity, right? Like what do you want to major in? What do you want to minor in? What subjects do we want to take? How do we kind of, you know, be strategic about, you know, getting easy grades here and there and, you know, where do I want to take more difficult subjects and so on. So I was kind of in this by myself, right? Like I didn't really have anyone to guide me, no one to talk to. It was mostly by myself. And, and I just learned how to learn on my own. And I think that just kind of carried on into my career. I'm a pretty avid book reader. I think a lot of people who read books will say, you know what, oh, reading books is awesome. Everyone should read like five books a month or something and so on. I think that's good advice. I just don't think that's advice for everyone, right? The key is finding a way of learning that works for you. I know someone, one of my really close friends, he's also on, on Twitter. He is like phenomenally smart, uh, phenomenally successful, and he just never reads anything. It kind of shocked me in the beginning, but he's one of those people who constantly learns by conversating. So every time I see this guy, he's always on the phone with someone, or every time I go out to dinner with this guy, he'll invite a couple of other people and he'll start picking their brains. So he's more of a conversational learner, right? Some people learn better by listening to podcasts, by listening to audiobooks, or maybe by taking a course. So the key, I guess, is, you know, I just happened to have a way of, of learning which suited me. I was a pretty avid reader before I started uh, started my job. But once I kind of started my job, I, you know, I, I was kind of like, you know, any problem I have, I can just pick up a book and read it. I'm, I've reached the point where that has its limitations. You can't find everything in a book because there's so much knowledge that hasn't been coded in books yet, especially knowledge that's on the edge. A good example is, is, is building a Twitter audience, right? Like both of us are, are on Twitter, both of us have sizable audiences, and you're pretty active on LinkedIn as well. I don't think there's any good book on the subject. A lot of it is like kind of being on the edge and, and figuring that out and, and you know, being on Slack channels and, and talking to people. So I, I think it's just, yeah, just finding a way of learning that that works for you. And, and I was lucky that I found mine. Now I'm trying to diversify, you know, I'm, I'm listening to podcasts, I listen to audiobooks. When I don't have the time, I, you know, kind of jump on Zoom calls with people. Twitter is great for this, you know, met a, met a few people along the way, have interesting conversations with them in the DMs and, and learn a lot of stuff from them. So yeah. Find a way that learns uh, that works for you. Uh, mine was mine was books, but find your own. We all know that the marketing technology landscape is insane. There are thousands of tools to choose from, and it can be really daunting to pick the right one. Well, we partnered with our friends over at Maga.io to get you the book that makes it easier. Build cool shit. It's honestly the most complete guide to building a tech stack today, and we can't recommend it enough. Just text millennial to. 415-915-9011. That's millennial to 415-915-9011 to get your copy today. I feel like that is um, pretty underrated advice. And I know that's a key term that people hate saying underrated, but it is underrated because like, like for me, I could skim books, but books like I can't like I have my I have bad concentration issues. So like yeah. for me, it's like talk like conversations and also like doing stuff. Like I'll just go and like start trying things and then figuring it out like as I try and just watch what other people are doing. So it's like for me, it's like and then when I get stuck, I'll go ask people 
like on the like that I know to help me like along the way. So I think like you don't have to, like even if you're not the best reader, there is other ways to learn where you could grow your career. And I think that is very underrated advice. Like I know a lot of people who read who are very smart at reading, but even if you're not a reader, don't be down on yourself to say, hey, yeah. since I can't read that well, like I can't learn. Like there's so many different ways yeah. to learn. And I love what you said about like like Twitter, but like a lot of the stuff you learned is probably like foundational marketing stuff. And then you just carried it onto a new channel. Like and then yeah. just learned while you were doing it. So exactly, exactly. And just to double click on the learning point, right? Like I frame learning as 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 a meta skill. And my definition of a meta skill is any skill that kind of um, magnifies and leverages all of your other skills, right? So learning, for example, is one skill. Like if you can learn how to learn, you can learn almost any skill, right? So, you know, for me, I learned, I, I kind of leveraged that skill to learn marketing, but then I also kind of leveraged that skill to kind of, you know, learn about products, learn about design, uh, learn, you know, how to raise money how to hire people, how to do all the other things that kind of go into building a startup, right? And then I kind of implemented that into other stuff, like, you know, uh, really into health and fitness and working out, you know, how do you kind of get into shape? What's like an optimal diet, all these other different things. So, so that's one key meta skill that I think of, but there's a bunch of others. Uh, I think communication and, and storytelling is another one that's very key. So if you can, you know, your work is your product, and then your advocacy for your work is distribution for that product. So if you know how to do your work well, and you know how to communicate it well within your organization, the impact of your work has gone up exponentially. So to kind of use the cliche of, you know, if, if a tree falls in a forest and no one's there to see it, like has this tree fallen? I don't know, I'm not a philosopher, but if you kind of translate that into marketing, like if you've kind of built a marketing campaign and it's done well and no one knows about it, has the marketing campaign actually made it? And the answer is no. If no one knows you've built this marketing campaign, if no one knows new customers came in, if no one knows the new revenue came in, that that works almost like as as you know as good as not done. So that's another one, right? Like a communication storytelling. There, I think folks like you and me, you know, we're we're pretty active on social media. We've kind of built up an audience. So that's you know that kind of layers that onto it, right? So I mean, I just crossed fifty thousand followers on Twitter. So that's like distribution for my career, for my work. It's, it's helped me immensely and opened up a lot of opportunities for me. So I think it's important to think about, if you're a marketer, think about skills. You know, here's how you write a good email or here's, you know, how do you know, build a marketing campaign and here's how you manage a budget. Awesome. But do think about the meta skills as well. Yeah, I want to double click into that because I know you like wrote like a thread that was pretty popular and you talk about soft skills versus versus like hard skills basically how you you grew was a lot of it was like the soft skills you learned like skills that aren't like per se marketing skills but you use yeah. them for marketing so yeah. can you talk about like how you grew those skills to grow your marketing career because obviously people i could t go and say go look here to like learn social media or go look here but how do you learn like those soft skills the, those important yeah. skills yeah, fair point. Uh, connect this to a story uh, uh, to like how I came onto this conclusion to kind of contextualize where this insight came from. In college, you're playing a, a single a single player game, right? You show up to classes, you read these books, you follow these instructions, and you're good to go. 
right? You get good grades and you're good to go. It's a single player game. And you play that game till the age of like 20, 21, whenever it is that you graduate. Real life or your career, on the other hand, is a multiplayer game. You can't just rock up to your job, put your head down, work and leave and act like, you know, you don't have to interact with anyone else. The whole point of a company is a team game. You know, it doesn't even have to be a company. It could just be an NGO or organization or anything else, right? It's a team sport. When you guys come together and you guys cooperate and you guys build something together, the sum of this whole effort is so much bigger than what any of you could have individually built by yourself. And when I say it, it sounds pretty obvious, but that's not how most people operate in their career. It's not how I operated in my career. So a lot of it was, you know, if the hard skills are, you know, kind of the jigsaw pieces, the soft skills are the glue that kind of stick them all together. I, I don't think one is more important than the other. I just think both of them are equally important and people don't think that they're important, right? In fact, sometimes we tend to demonize them, right? Like if someone is kind of, you know, a good communicator, a good storyteller, you kind of, you know, might frame them as like, you know, they're a schmoozer, they're a suck up, they're someone and so on. But the reality is, is they know how to, you know, get work done. They know how to cooperate with other people. And by the way, I'm not saying there aren't schmoozers and, you know, butt kissers out there, they're 100% are. But, uh, you know, most of the time, if you're doing something, uh, knowing how to work with other people to bring that to life is, is pretty key, right? Uh, another, I know this uh, podcast uh, about marketing, so I'll tie it to the marketing thing. You know, let's just say you're running, let's just say a paid marketing campaign on Instagram or Facebook, right? You need creative. You got to work with a designer, right? You need a budget. You got to talk to the finance guy, right? You need to kind of launch this campaign. You probably need your manager's approval. So you got to go talk to her or him. So this is like a team sport, right? Like you can't just rock up to work, decide that you're going to spend $10,000 in a campaign, create an ad yourself and just bounce, right? Like <laughs> that's just not how it works. So that would be like a good example of, of how a soft skill kind of, you know, clicks in with the hard skill and uh, really brings everything together. Yeah, it's it's great you said that because I think subconsciously, like that's how I grew up because I played sports, like. And I play team sports per se, not like tennis or stuff like that. I play like sports where like the end goal is like a bunch of people doing something together to like win games. And you knew like, even if you had your best game, like you can lose because not all the parts came together in that game. So I think like a lot of, it's like, you have to learn how to like, work as a team as a unit bring bring people up with you bring people up like lean on other people no it's not like just you who's going to be the end result i mean if you're an entrepreneur starting your own company maybe like but yeah. if you're in in a, in a in a work in your work environment like the people who you surround yourself with and that goes in even to like hiring right like the people who you recruit and you surround yourself with, they're going to be the ones to get you. Like you luckily like had a good, like per se, like coach or team lead, like captain, team captain, like in sports. And then you, you probably hired a bunch of people around you that were like brilliant. So you could build your career up. I think that's like a great way to think about it. Exactly. I think, I think the sports analogy works on, on so many levels, right? It's basically, you're just aligning a bunch of people to achieve a common goal. Uh, you know, maybe you're the rookie on the bench waiting to get your chance, right? Maybe you're, you know, the equivalent of that would be, you know, someone who's just kind of joining our organization as an intern or something, 
or you know maybe you're the team coach let's call that the ceo right or you know maybe you're the you know you're the captain like you know you're the coo who's you know kind of executing everything on the ground on a daily basis so i think the analogy works on on a lot of levels i mean the way you framed it it just made me clicks in my head of like think you sports but it's just crazy because like i also am empathetic because i know a lot of people a lot of people don't come from that environment and have to learn that, yeah. those skills i want to go into like like click a little bit into how you ran a marketing team at such like a, a short period like how did you like learn these management skills like how did you learn to hire it could be just like your manager like taught you a lot of this but like how did you learn those like key skills of being a manager and also another question to layer on that is like how do you know if you want to go down that like ic path versus manager like cuz a lot of people think you want to be a manager like like you, yeah. people managing is like the best thing to get to yeah. so i know it's a loaded question but there's like a two parts to that yeah i think it's a great question i'll unpack it and say i knew that i wanted to kind of go down the management path because tying it back to the sports analogy i was always really into sports i was a captain of my middle school soccer team you know went on and and played a lot and you know i was always the guy who was uh you know booking booking the soccer fields getting all the balls in making sure all the kids were in you know making sure everyone's got the right number and you know doing all these different things so i was always a little bit of a planner and an organizer so i think a lot of that you know it kind of probably translated into work you know i'd be organizing team event, team events and you know doing game nights and and so on and so forth so i probably had a taste of you know working with people and i know that's what i wanted to do right and it's also what energized me so my brother for example we're like polar opposites he would rather sit in front of a desk and work with a spreadsheet and you know be done with it he doesn't want to talk to anyone he doesn't want to you know do chit chat he just wants to go to work get get his shit done and just leave right i wasn't like that i mean i enjoyed the ic work i you know i was good at it but i also really enjoyed the people part of it i like being around people i like helping people out and i just like celebrating those wins together like that that was just something that kind of came to me and i knew I, that i that's something that I wanted to do more of like I didn't just want to sit at my desk the whole day and it probably aligned with that part of my personality and you know coming on to the second part of how did I learn this uh, some of it was by observation because you know I'm uh, I'm working with my manager I'm trying to observe what she's doing uh, you know how she's running meetings how she's running you know creating the process how she's creating different budgets how she's giving feedback how does she find candidates when she's looking someone to hire it's not just as simple as putting a job post out uh, how do you interview them what questions do you ask why do these questions matter what kind you know skill set or personality traits are you trying to scan for and you know when shit hits the fan like you got to let someone go how does that happen and, and you know the funny thing about that is is when a lot of people get let go they think it's their fault i think everyone thinks it's their fault but the dirty truth about being let go often is at some point the manager messed up the manager either messed up when they hired you in terms of misevaluating your skill set they either misjudged when they handed you the task that they handed you or they kind of you know didn't give you adequate feedback or the right kind of feedback so oftentimes you know it's 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 these um i would say tacit skills that you you know you 
kind of get with reps like you the more reps you put in the the better you kind of get at it and then you know in terms of uh, again to the books part as well a couple of books there that i highly recommend if, if anyone wants to get into management management i think uh high, high output management by andy grove excellent book uh for a first-time manager uh, i think there's a making of a manager by julie Zhu. i think her name is uh, she was a vp at facebook also another excellent book so, you know, uh, if you read this couple of books, I think you'll get a sense of what it's like to be a manager on the IC versus manager thing at the end of this. I think it's kind of glamorized to be a manager and I kind of get it. You know, it does have its uh, um, nice parts, but it's it's not, um, you know, being a manager today is not what it was like being a manager 20 years ago. Right. Like we live in an extremely job mobile time. Right. Like we're talking about, like, you know, historic labor shortages in, in the United States and so on. If people don't like their jobs, they can just move. Right. We're, we're not living in the days where, you know, you work at the plant in your hometown and, you know, there's nowhere else to go. So, you know, you got to put up with your manager, no matter how good or bad that manager is. So I think, uh, you know, you can't manage by authority. We're, we're in an age where you need to manage by influence and cooperation. Like when someone shows up to your company, you got to make sure that there's something in it for them, right? And a lot of times this person who is killing it on the team is very happy on your team, decides to leave for reasons that are out of your control. Maybe they want to go do a master's degree. Maybe they want to switch careers. You know, maybe they want to go have a kid. Uh, You know, they leave on paternal leave and then they decide they just want to, you know, spend more time with the kid. And, you know, there's nothing you can do about that as a manager. And, you know, some, some situations, like personally, if, if someone wants to leave for a good reason, I don't want to get in their path. Like if, if you want to go do a master's or, you know, if you want to go spend time more, more time with your family, of course, I want that for you. Right. But uh, I just kind of, you know, wanted to highlight some parts of, of being a manager that aren't so glamorous. And of course, um, you know, if you're a manager, especially the higher on you get in leadership, the buck stops with you. If something isn't working, that's on you. Uh, it doesn't matter if someone on your team was sick or if someone left or if someone messed up, whatever, it does not matter. It's all on you. It's ultimate accountability to some degree, right? You can't just show up to a meeting with the leadership team or, or with the investors or whatever else it might be and just say, hey, you know what? Uh, our function didn't perform because uh, someone got sick or someone quit their job. Boo-hoo. It's not good enough. So, you know, sometimes it's it's tough shit. So definitely has it upsides. I didn't talk about it because, um, you know, everyone knows about this upsides, but I just wanted to, you know, highlight some downsides as well for people who want to career, uh, consider this career path. Yeah. I love that. I definitely, it's also, it's definitely like a total, what you said, accountability game. And it's also, you have to take bullets, even though like they're not your bullets to take, like yeah. you just have to take it for your team. And it's, it, as hard as it is, it is, you're the one, like you said, which I love that you said earlier, it's at the end of the game, like if someone's not performing on your team or someone you hired the wrong person and they, they get let go, everything is t- like accountability of like the person who hired you and the person who's managing you and the person who's coaching you. And going even back to the, what we talked about earlier, it comes, everything comes down to that like great manager or boss that you get from the beginning that trusted you, that wanted to invest in your growth, not only their growth. It's hard to get, it's a, it's a very lucky game. Like you have to be in the right place and right time. Like it's hard to find that right manager, but if you do, 
cling on for dear life like it's it's exactly. a, which is a great thing and a lot of things that we both would say in our career i bet and i zane says it's too it's like a lot of like marketing and growing career is unfortunately like right place right time like if you want to be exactly. great to you it's like we can give you like a playbook on how to manage up but if there's nobody yeah. in the company that's willing to support it it's hard it's hard exactly 100 going down the path of giving some keys to like marketers middle in their career like what are some key channels you were thinking about or cutting edge things that you were thinking about as a, a leading marketing what are some what are some sure. things that you're looking at right now like channel wise when you think about marketing sweet i think one of the isms or cliches of marketing is you know uh, organic is so much better than paid and you know if you want to build a company you got to do it off um uh, off organic marketing and you got to build seo and all these different things I disagree, man. Uh, I'm a hedgehog when it comes to this. I don't. I don't think that's true at all, right? Look at TikTok. Uh, spent billions of dollars on Facebook ads, pretty much all paid acquisition, and they did it right. I know that there is plenty of examples of companies that did it organically as well. Uh, I think you definitely want to be somewhat organic long term. So, like even TikTok had you know a very uh, organic product loop in terms of you know virality and, and sharing across other platforms uh, and their watermark and everything. Long-term, I agree with the organic point, but if you're in a startup, if you're in a smaller company, paid marketing is, is pretty dope. Early days when you're trying to verify product market fit, you know, maybe your startup has a year of runway. You don't want to spend that whole year trying to rank on SEO because that's how long it takes now. You know, 10 years ago, maybe a couple of months and you could, you know, do tricks like buy a domain name that matches a keyword and kind of start ranking. Those days are gone. So, you know, if uh, let's just say you have one year's worth of runway, you spent all your year doing SEO only to find out that people don't want what you're selling or what you've built. Uh, that's a very tough spot to be in. So, you know, mixing in some paid marketing, doing some, you know, uh, Facebook ads or Google ads or YouTube ads or whatever else you want to do, quickly bring those users in, put them in the products, see how the product's working for them. I think that's pretty, pretty, pretty key skill. So that's uh, the kind of high-level framework that I'm looking at. I think channels that are of interest to me these days, I think TikTok is super interesting for the simple reason that it's the only channel that has the same kind of skill that Facebook did or Facebook has or Instagram has, right? It's the only channel that kind of virals, uh, arrivals it for it. And what makes it super interesting is I don't think there's a clear playbook for it at this point. Uh, and partly because of the point, you know, us folks who kind of sit in companies and are super, you know, career focused and, you know, have, uh, frankly speaking, not of the TikTok generation, for us, kind of, you know, getting in front of a mobile phone and trying to do a, a, a dance or, you know, a, a fancy hand movement or something or a magic trick <laughs> to kind of capture our audience is just not something we've been trained in, right? So I find it pretty interesting in terms of what is what is the future of marketing on this channel going to look like? Because TikTok is way stickier than than Facebook, I think. I think it's way stickier than Instagram as well. At least when I you know see people who are close to me, like my nieces and nephews and other kids, they tend to spend a lot more time on on TikTok than they do on on Facebook and Instagram. So I think that'll be a pretty key channel to figure out. I'm also a big fan of product-led growth. I know that isn't like directly directly marketing. But uh, if, you know, if you look at all the ways that products bring their um, customers back in, uh, I think a very market example of that is emails and, and, you know, like, let's just say 
I'm uh, selling online courses. That's what my product is, right? I'm a masterclass or Maven or someone else, right? Uh, you know, maybe every week I'm going to send out uh, an email that's telling everyone about the new courses. Every month I want to send out a discount that kind of incentivizes people to, to come back in, right? So that's one way to think about it. But another step up, which is a mix of marketing and product, could be notifications, right? So notifications, obviously, slightly more producty thing. Like, you know, um, it, it's, it's, you know, more something that you have to work with the product engineering team on. But then it has a very heavy marketing element, which is how do you write good copy and lure people back in? Similar with landing pages as well. I know we kind of reached the point now where, you know, marketers can build landing pages by themselves without having to work with product engineering. Uh, not always the case. Uh, you know, maybe you're trying to do a landing page for, for, your, for the app store, uh, or, you know, maybe you're trying to do a landing page for your uh, mobile phone. So those are like a, a bunch of things that you need to think about, right? And even when you build uh, a landing page and, and you kind of get into the nitty gritty of it at scale, if you're getting millions of hits or something and, you know, you're trying to rank for page speed, and keywords and site structure and a lot of other things. And you kind of end up veering into the uh, SEO product uh, engineering kind of things. So those are those are like a few things that I'm kind of looking at uh, seriously these days. I want to go back to the TikTok point because not only like is TikTok like a great product to like learn about, but I think how TikTok is influencing other channels in the way of the content you create and how authentic content is winning and how you have to like now humanize everything. Like if you think before TikTok, like some ads that worked were not these people talking in a video, but now like people are getting used to that way of things because a lot more people are on that platform. So it's translating to Instagram, it's translating to Facebook, it's translating even to Twitter, it's translating all over that people want that authentic human content, which I think that's what's cool about TikTok too. It's not only like sticking, like learning the platform, even if you don't advertise or post one video, just know why that platform works and why people are on that platform. Yeah in general yeah yeah i think something that that us as content creators realize right like i look at tiktok and i can instantly tell this this game's all about the hook right Mm -hmm. so for for, you know uh a hook is is content creators speak for like the first uh the very first part of any content could be the first line of a tweet could be the first three seconds of a video could be the first two sentences of a blog post right like those, that's the key point where someone gets sucked in. Like if that part is strong enough, if it's emotional enough, if it communicates high enough value, it kind of, it kind of sucks you in. Right. But that's not something folks who are, you know, more traditional digital marketing tend to think about, we, you know, traditional digital marketing is more uh, image based, right? Like you create a Facebook ad or you create a billboard ad and, you know, you're trying to be funny or you're trying to be smart or something. The aspect of a hook doesn't exist. Right. So yeah, uh, I, I think if you're a content creator and you're looking to get into uh, marketing, I think there's probably a huge opportunity for you right now. Yeah, I love that that point about hook. I think it translates to everything, like every little part of marketing, organic, paid, email, like like everyone has, you have right now there. It's not a, I wouldn't say attention span is the, the, the thing, but the, right now there's so much content out there that if you want to stand out, you need to do something to catch someone in that first one, two, three seconds, or you're screwed. Like it's not because people's attentions are 
crappy. It's because people are seeing so much content every single day. So they know how to filter out something that's BS in your, in your mind, exactly. in their mind. So exactly. I have one more question and I want to leave a little bit of time for you to see where people can follow you. But my last question, I love asking people here is like, what are like a lot of marketers doing wrong today? Great question. I, I need a couple of seconds to think about this. All good. Yeah. I, again, linking this back to the career point, I think a lot of marketers get stuck into the very specific skills and they don't kind of think about the meta skills or the general like uh, layer of like career skills, right? So you could be really good at writing blog posts or creating videos for YouTube and, you know, whatever else that might be. But uh, how do you kind of leverage that into career growth? It's a key question. How do you, you know, do you know how to negotiate? Do you know how to communicate your work? Do you know how to tell a compelling story about, you know, why someone should hire you or promote you or give you a raise and do all those things? And a lot of people don't look at these as important parts of the job, but they're all part of your job. Your boss wants to see you do great work, right? And your boss wants an employee who's doing great work and, you know, they want to compensate them for that work in most cases, right? Someone's working for me and they're doing a killer job. I want to pay them before they get any thoughts about leaving my company, right? Like that's, that's how I think about it. I think that's how most good managers would think about it. But I think there's a whole like layer of like meta skills that people don't particularly think about. Just just a couple of you know minutes on what my framework for this is. I even wrote a, a Twitter thread about it, kind of uh, blew up as well. Is I break it down into like four core things, right? Building a successful career comes down to four skills, which is uh, learning how to build skills, uh, learning how to sell things, managing people, and then managing money, right? You don't have to learn all of these, but you need to learn some combination of these skills if you want to kind of you know level up in your career, right? So a good example of the path that I took is I first learned how to sell, which is, you know, I, I kind of got down the marketing path. Then I learned how to build a little bit. I, you know, spent some time with the design and the product team and I learned what good design looks like. I learned what like, you know, a good product looks like and how that interacts with our marketing channels. And then I learned how to manage people. I learned that piece, right? And then, you know, because I was a paid marketing, I was learning how to manage money as well. I got a taste of all these four skills and, you know, that kind of helped me level up. But most marketers, they're in the selling uh, end of the woods, and that's where they're stuck. They're just focused on the selling. And, you know, they're thinking, if I can just get incrementally better at selling this thing or this product, uh, the rest of my career is going to work out. It could. Uh, it's just, you know, being in the top 1% of something is really, is really, really hard. Like, there's a lot of competition for it. But another kind of alternative path that you can take is being in the top 50% for, you know, two, three, four different skills. Because not a lot of a lot of people are taking that career path. So if you take that alternative career path where you know instead of being in the top one percent of one thing, you're in the top like 20, 30, 40 percent of like two, three, four different skills, that puts you in a very unique spot where you know you have a bunch of unique skills that that people are always looking for. And you know, you can kind of bring pieces together and you know sue things together that uh, that no one else can. So to the question of like what marketers are doing wrong, that's uh, yeah, no, that's I, I, I think that's I, that's a great answer, I think. I honestly think that you could be like the best paid person, but if you don't know how to like sell that you're the best paid person or share those, like share a great idea with people in an organization or 
get people on your side to build great creative with you and stuff like that, you're not going to be that successful. So I, I think that, and like, I always say to people, like one of the most underrated skills in like being in a org is, and what you said at the beginning is selling, but it's like internal selling yourself. It's like selling yourself to your, your people who your peers selling yourself to people who are higher than you selling people who are lower than you. Like, it's basically people rallying people around you to around an idea. Cause if you bring up that idea to a group of people and 10 people being like, Oh, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. That's yeah. a great idea. Where, whereas the opposite side, you bring it up and everybody's like, what, yeah. what is this idea? Yeah. You're kind of screwed. Exactly. Yeah. On on that point as well. Right. I kind of want to, you know, leave it and leave another thought there as well. A lot of people look at speaking about themselves as, as self-promotional. I think the part about self-promotional applies where no one wants to hear about you and you kind of force your story upon someone else. In a company, I don't think that's the case. It's a positive sum game. So if you do well, the company does well and everyone in the company to some varying degree does well, right? So if you do good work, people want to hear about it. Obviously, you don't want to be like too overtly promotional or, you know, take all hog all the credit for it or, or someone, right? Like there's a right way to do it. You don't want to acknowledge everyone who's kind of worked within the project. Uh, you know, you, you want to kind of, you know, give, give credit where it's due, but if something good has happened, you know, again, it's a marketing podcast, you know, if you've uh, launched a campaign or, you know, if you, you know, the CAC has gone down or if the conversion rate's gone up, people want to know about this. Like if I'm a manager in this company or if I'm your colleague in this company and something good is happening, uh, you know, if, if more customers are coming in, if we're saving more money, if things are going in the right direction, I actively want to hear about this. So yeah, if anyone out there doesn't want to kind of speak up because they think it's a little bit sleazy to kind of talk about yourself or your work, I promise you outside of work, that may, that might be the case if you're hanging out with your friends, but at work, it's a positive sum game. Everyone wants to hear about the work that you're doing. So yeah, I do communicate your work. Yeah. And on that note too, just to add on is like, what I think a lot of companies don't do is like when you're sharing your ideas other people are learning from your takeaways that they could apply a lot of marketers what they do is they run a test and they don't share their learnings of like what that test is and then it's not trickled down through the department and people can they'll make their mistake somewhere else down the org because nobody shared their learning from yeah. the test that they run so it's like it's good to speak up about like your wins your losses and stuff like that so people can learn in the org about those percent Last thing I want to leave you with is how could people find you? Like where, where could they find you? How could they follow you? How could they, what, what are some cool things you're doing right now? Anything, this is your time. Sweet. Yeah. If anyone wants to follow me or have a conversation with me, I am most active on Twitter. Uh, my handle is HeyKhan, H-E-Y-K-A-H-N. Uh, you can come follow me there. You can, you know, get in my DMs and we can have a conversation about anything that, that I discussed on the podcast today. And, you know, outside of work, uh, I'm enjoying semi-retirement, but then also looking for my next thing. So, you know, I'm actively uh, investing in, in companies as an angel, uh, also advising companies on how to build their marketing teams. And then uh, more specifically these days, I'm kind of scoping out uh, an idea to kind of, you know, pivot from a marketer to, I guess, a founder and build my next company. So, you know, lots of exciting things happening on those end. And, you know, I'll, I guess I'll be dropping more, uh, more updates about that on Twitter as soon as I'm ready to go public. Cool. Um, so if anybody just follow him, he puts out some great content on Twitter. 
I follow him. I know a lot of close marketers that I'm friends follow him. I got recommended to follow him by some close friends. So it, he puts out some great stuff on Twitter and I'm excited to hear about your new journey and I bet you everybody else will too. So thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me on. This was awesome.